0: Good afternoon from Tyler, Texas on a Sunday afternoon uh, here in the last few days of the month of March 2021. Glad to have you joining in on this Facebook study. Appreciate you being a part of Bill's Facebook studies, and including these on Sunday afternoons from the Gospel of Mark. Today we get to Mark 11 and we begin the last trek of Jesus and leading up to his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection Um, and this is a nice time to be doing this uh, because today, as the uh, title indicates, this is a day of joy and sorrow that Mark notes in Mark chapter 11, and I'll say more about that in just a few moments. Uh, Glad to have you joining in. I know we have a lot of people that join in. A lot of folks let me know that they uh, watch me, and they may not comment. They may Some do, and I always appreciate that, being able to to put some faces with the numbers and uh, appreciate all of you so very much to do that. See my wonderful friends Myron and Elizabeth Granberry signing on. Great to see that you were here uh, this morning, as uh, as I heard from um, uh, one of our shepherds, uh, David Hammond, during our shepherd's prayer time. Uh, Tia Clark, wonderful to see your name there, my, my wonderful sister. Uh, Barbara Kasky, always great to see you. Appreciate your encouragement so very much. My cousin Gail. Others will be joining in and some will be signing in to say hey. So hey, glad to have you. Uh, glad that you're here and appreciate so very much uh, the opportunity that we have through the blessings of God and and the wonderful minds and intellects of, of people created in God's image to be able to have these wonderful toys to work with uh, that actually can be used for great good. As we know over these last months, we've had um, a great deal of blessing through these online studies and through online worship services. Uh, We had a good crowd in person uh, this morning uh, at our West Irwin Church of Christ, 290, and so we're grateful to see folks uh, like the Granberries and Barbara and so many others that that are able to come and be a part of our worship service. Barbara was so faithful in attending uh, for l- such a long time, even through uh, these difficult days and uh, Myron and Elizabeth uh, beginning to be able to be back and so many others like them as well. We are blessed to have been able to make it through this. Many others are still watching us online, some here locally, because they are not ready uh, to be a part, to be involved in a crowd like that yet. And I, we understand that. Uh, and we realize that there's uh, a lot of things, that issues that go on. And so I realize that some of you are taking us in online. We had over 100 uh, sites that were live during our worship services online this morning through our West Irwin Live Facebook page and also through our website at westirwin.com on our social media and resources page with the big blue box at the live streaming link. and um, And what a blessing that is. So great to be with you all. Uh, great to be a part of our Bible study in our sermon time on Sunday mornings through the book of Romans. We just started that second section this morning with that incredible passage in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and uh, and then the passage that follows that speaks about our using our gifts that God has given us to, uh, to build each other up and to build up his church. Uh, therefore, Uh, In view of God's mercies, uh, offer your bodies, present your bodies as living sacrifices. We looked at this morning from Romans 12, verse 1. So uh, talking about that great verse in Romans 12, 2 that uh, Philip's translation says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Uh, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind rather than conform to the ways of this world. What a great, great passage in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. If you want to take part of that. You're welcome to go to our website, westderwin.com, click click over the social media and resources uh, link at the top of the page, and then click on live streaming channel. Go down to video archive and click on that link, and you'll see our worship services from this morning and also my sermon from this morning. And you'll be able to see so many other things there as well. Um, On Sunday afternoons, however, we're not in the book of Romans, but we are in the New Testament and we're looking at the life of Christ and uh, Mark, as we call him, the action gospel, only 16 chapters. And today we're at chapter number 11, which means that we are uh, looking ahead to the time when Jesus will be betrayed and turned over to the Romans and pronounced guilty and convicted and uh, sentenced to death by crucifixion. Uh, Mark 11, however, records several incidents in the life of Christ, and just a few uh, incidents, but several different uh, uh, incidents that open up a window into the emotions of Jesus. You know, uh, the Gospel of John is such a great book because it, it identifies and emphasizes the divine nature of jesus of nazareth Um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and then down to verse 14 the word became flesh lived for a while among us and uh, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth john 1 starts out in such a majestic way emphasizing the divinity of christ as seen in Jesus of Nazareth. And in the same way, the book of Hebrews emphasizes more the humanity of Jesus, how he felt what we feel, how he experienced what we experienced, even how he was tempted as we are tempted. And yet he was without sin, never sinned in spite of being tempted. Uh, Mark 11 shows us that human side of Jesus in a very real way because it opens up uh, the window into seeing his emotions. He, he, he acts and reacts emotionally as all human beings do. Never out of control, uh, but always fully human. And I think that's something that's uh, a blessing for us as Hebrew says, it's, what, it's part of what qualifies him as our great high priest. He had to be made like us in every way. And he was, he truly was uh, not 50% human and 50% divine but 100% human and 100% divine or deity. And you say, Bill, that doesn't add up. You can't be 200% something. Well, I I know it doesn't add up. It's part of the miraculous uh, nature of Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine. And uh, we really truly see both of those at work in Mark chapter 11, displaying great sadness, uh, great disappointment, great anger and indignation at the sinfulness that he sees around him, especially on the part of the Jewish leaders, but also great joy. And, um, and so this chapter begins with one of the most joyful and uh, celebrative uh, ce- uh, acts of celebration of people around uh, Jesus of Nazareth. It's a great moment of victory. It doesn't last long in Mark 11, but it's a great moment of victory and celebration. We call it the triumphal entry. It's where we get our holiday for some, uh, but um, uh, for most it's just a line on the calendar, but it's called Palm Sunday and Mark 11 will show us exactly where that uh, comes from as does Matthew 11 and Luke 19. And John 12. All of these events um, uh, looked seen ahead of time in Psalm uh, 118 uh, that the New Testament writers look back to. The followers of Jesus give praise to God for the blessings that they have seen in Jesus Christ. And uh, I remember um, when I was growing up San Antonio and I was going to the Protestant Chapel which in the 60s and early 70s there were three services in the Protestant in the Chapel at um, uh, Kelly Air Force Base there on Security Hill where my dad worked in building 2000 and around the corner from that was the little Chapel number two that uh, We went to that I went to was very active with until we started going to the Churches of Christ at Lackland Terrace in, um, in my ninth grade year. But up until that time, I was very active in the Protestant chapel, very important to me. But there were only three services there. There was a Jewish service, a Catholic service, and a Protestant service. And if you weren't Jewish and you weren't Catholic, then everyone else went to the Protestant chapel service. And, um, and I, I remember um, a painting, a picture that I had, a framed picture. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where I got it, but it was a beautiful picture of this that we're talking about right now. The triumphal entry uh, that Mark discusses at the beginning of Mark 11. And, um, and the, the, the print was a beautiful print, just not anything valuable, not anything rare, or anything like that. Just a, a print of that moment, that day in Jesus' life. And I just will always remember, have always remembered the caption underneath that um, that that picture. And it was entitled... That print was entitled, A Day of Joy and Sorrow. And that's really what Mark discusses in Mark chapter 11. And so let's get to it. Mark chapter 11, beginning with this triumphal entry uh, that is the reason why we call this Sunday, one week from the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, um, uh, Palm Sunday. Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples um, ahead of him, and he said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people, seeing them standing there, asked, What are you doing untying that colt? Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve, where he stayed uh, during these last few days of his life, uh, before his life was taken on the cross later that week. Uh, A day of joy and sorrow, uh, a triumphal entry where people are shouting with great joy, Hosanna, which is a a term of praise uh, for the Jews. Um, God has blessed them. God has made his presence known to them. The masses at this time acknowledge the good things that Jesus had done. Um, one of the great statements of Jesus, I believe it's in um, uh, Luke chapter 9, as uh, as we read about that moment when he uh, heals the, uh, the, the widow's son, the, the woman from Nain, N-A-I-N one of the few resurrections that we read about that Jesus performed. But he healed that woman's son and brought him back to life, uh, the only son of this widow. And uh, people said uh, God has come to help his people as we read that incident. It's a great, great response, a great and incredible, amazing statement uh, about Jesus. And that's truly what Jesus did. He came to help his people. And, of course, he came to help all Uh, humanity by giving his life for us. This chapter in Mark 11, again, Matthew 21, Luke 19, John 12, all give us this great event of Palm Sunday, this great event of people. uh, This is what you do for royalty. It's kind of the red carpet treatment, if you will. Uh, They didn't want even the hooves of the animal that Jesus was riding on uh, to touch the ground. Uh, That's how special they were saying he was here and so they took whatever they could find and spread it out on the path Um, and sometimes it was someone's coat and sometimes it was uh, a branch uh, of a tree that they had uh, broken off so that they could lay these palm branches down and the king could come and could be uh, could enter into the town this was a, a great great moment of praise and, uh, and then Jesus, since it's late, he goes uh, back to Bethany and he goes into where he's going to stay um, with his friends, Mary and Martha uh, and Lazarus, as best we can tell. Um, so a day of joy and sorrow, a great day of joy we see here. But, but it doesn't take long for the sorrow to come. And Jesus himself likely knew uh, that this was the last time that he would enter into the city um, and he would uh, ultimately be killed. So a day of joy and sorrow. Well, let's keep reading because it's not just a day of joy and sorrow. It's a day of anger and a day of action uh, as Jesus again expresses his emotions in a couple of events uh, that follow up this triumphal entry. Uh, In Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, The next day as they were leaving, Bethany, Jesus, was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And then we skip down a little bit uh, to verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Well, it's a little patchy, that story of of this fig tree uh, cursing and how it um, no longer bears uh, fruit. And, uh, And we read about this in other places as well. We read about similar events of Jesus, but... You know what? What do we do with this story? <laughs> um, it's obviously an illustration or a demonstration of something, um, but but what? I mean, it's the power of Christ once again demonstrated every bit as much as when he walks on water, when he raises someone from the dead, um, when he calms the sea. This is um, this is again a demonstration of the power of God that Jesus had power over. Uh, the ways of nature and over the natural world. And um, and and I don't know what the message is here. You could draw several. I think part of it is uh, that, that we should do what God has created us to do. And in the case of the fig tree, it's to bear figs. Uh, we all are called upon to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Paul talks about that fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, uh, gentleness, self-control, all of those wonderful, wonderful things and, and lists in other places as well, we're called upon to bear that kind of fruit, to live that kind of life. Um, and so when Jesus sees that this fruit tree was not doing what He had created it to do, what God had created it to do, um, then he, um, he ends its life uh, with a word from the Creator. Um, just as with the clearing of the temple that we're going to read about in just a moment, Jesus uh, acts out his anger. I'm reading a very challenging book that I recommend to you. It's entitled Unoffendable. And it encourages us not to be offended by everything that we see and hear as if it's a personal affront to us. I think, I think the author has written a very important book at a very important time when it does seem like everything that happens around us we get angry about. And the writer in a, Unoffendable makes a a very uh, a big important case, saying, you know, we really don't have the right to be offended. We don't have the right uh, to be angry because we too are sinners ourselves, and Jesus is the one who has the right to be angry and to act on that anger. But even though he acts on his anger here, we must remember that Jesus uh, is is not out of control. And even in the story we're about to read, Cleansing of the Temple. Uh, He doesn't act outside of control. He's very measured. He's very controlled, but he's very passionate in what he does, and those things do not have to be at odds. Uh, We can still remain under control even though we act passionately about the things that are important to us. We looked at the passage of scripture from Romans 9 through 11 uh, this past Sunday, Sunday a week ago, where uh, Paul Ah uh, recounts how sad he was that his fellow Jews would not be saved because they had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. and he he acknowledges, hey, they're very passionate. Uh, they have a zeal uh, for God, but it's not based on knowledge. It's not based on God's word. and and that's an important point for us to remember, you know, passion and and uh, emotion, all of those things we love, and we love to see them in people, but if they're not based on knowledge, if they don't come from the right place, then we're no better off than the Jews who screamed for his blood in just a few days from now, as Mark recounts, uh, on that day when they were surrounding his trial and surrounding his cross. Um, and, and that's they were very passionate. <laughs> they were very zealous that it was not according to knowledge. Uh, Jesus here is very zealous. He's very passionate. Again, we're seeing a, a look at the emotional side of Jesus. And when he walks by this fig tree that he expects to be uh, uh, bearing figs as it's created to do, uh, he curses it and he reminds us all uh, that uh, that he has the power to do that. And Mark describes that. And Jesus himself says, as his disciples uh, bring it to his attention. When they walk by it again and they see it destroyed, Jesus says, look, this this is nothing. You too will be able to do great things if you truly believe. And we're reminded also that Jesus has said that when we pray and when we do things, we base it on the Father's will. Uh, if it is your will, Father, there were a lot of things that Jesus didn't do uh, because it wasn't his Father's will. And so a great passage of Scripture Um, that reminds us of not just Jesus' emotions, but his great power uh, over the natural order. And then we go to that middle passage beginning in verse 15 of Mark chapter 11. Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the temples of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves Uh, we read a similar event. I think there's probably more than one occasion where Jesus does something like this. And, uh, and and so we read about that in John chapter 2 that happens at the beginning of his ministry. And John records that in, in John 2. And there uh, quotes from Psalm 69. His disciples remember that zeal for my house has consumed me. The psalmist writ, wrote in Psalm 69, and, uh, and they apply that to what Jesus did just then. Again, passion, but passion according to the will of the Father. Um, and in, in uh, Mark 11, as Mark recounts the story, he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 7, as he says, You've made my house of prayer into a den of robbers and thieves. And, um, and, and Jesus' disciples uh, recognize that. Uh, later on, they will put all of this together. But as they reflect on what Jesus is doing, they realize that. Now, why were all these people doing this? And does this condemn any money changers in the temple? We, we talk about that sometimes when we have a special collection or something for a, a special cause. And I don't believe this condemns that at all. Of course it doesn't. Uh, What was going on with these people? Well, they were likely taking advantage of their fellow Jews. Remember, we're just days away from the Passover feast, and people would have to travel long distances to be in Jerusalem for the Passover, and it would take a long, long time, and and it was impractical for them uh, to bring their sacrifices with them, their sacrificial animals, uh, and so on. And so they would come, and they would bring their money, and then there would be vendors there in Jerusalem, Uh, to sell them uh, the animals and other items that perhaps they might need uh, to fulfill the requirements of observing the Passover. And uh, people were taking advantage of that, obviously. We see that in a a lot of other examples, too. We see that in the examples of those who would collect taxes. Uh, People such as Zacchaeus and Matthew uh, were questioned and were outcasts because that was uh, what uh, went on with those people, the Roman soldiers would be on the take, we might say, uh, so that they could give certain privileges to others. And, and so we see this in the temple area as well. And Jesus wouldn't have it. He wouldn't stand for it. And so he responds in a very powerful, uh, reactive way. Again, not out of control. Uh, But is it an emotional action and reaction? It absolutely is, and that doesn't make it wrong. And that doesn't uh, say that Jesus acts out of control here. Uh, His actions are measured and are exactly what the situation calls for always. Uh, But he does condemn what is going on there. And so I think it's important for us to remember Uh, In the New Testament worship, we don't worship the way the Jews worshipped, where there was a special place, Jerusalem, where there was a a special part of that city, uh, the temple. And inside the temple, there was a holy of holies. And inside that holy of holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, that board of that piece of wood overlaid with gold uh, was called the mercy seat. And it was surrounded by two angels that were on either side and their wings Tips of their wings touched, and in between those two angels was called the atonement center, the the mercy seat, and for the Jews that is the place where God's presence actually dwelt. And the writer of Hebrews makes a big deal about this, about saying, you know, we don't worship that way anymore. Uh, we don't rec- We recognize even in Old Testament times you couldn't keep God's presence in a temple, much less in a little uh, uh, wooden box overlaid with gold uh, inside the inner uh, sanctum, the holy of holies, the most holy place of the temple. Even Solomon himself in his great prayer of dedication says, will will God really dwell in a place built by human hands? He says, I don't think so. But nonetheless, God, use, use this place for your good. And when your people pray from here or towards here, we pray that you would You would hear and that you would bless a wonderful prayer of humility, but also great wisdom uh, from the mouth of King Solomon, not long after he uh, took power. Here, Jesus reminds us that the real power behind that temple, the real power behind the presence of God, um, is God himself. And so Jesus demonstrates uh, that power here in Mark 11. And then one final story. Uh, In this passage, in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, throughout the gospel of Mark, throughout all the gospels, we see um, different reactions to Jesus, contrasting reactions. And here is one of those incidents um, in Mark 11, beginning at verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law or scribes and the elders came to him by what authority are you doing these things they ask and who gave you authority to do this we see several times in jesus life here towards the end when the rulers come to him and and question him and challenge him sometimes they're doing it specifically to test him but um sometimes they're just challenging him and in this case jesus turns the tables on them in a great great way Uh, who gave you authority to do this the religious leaders the jewish leaders ask Verse 29, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven, or was it of human origin? Tell me. And so Jesus turns the tables on them and he gives them a dose of their own medicine. Uh, He does this again, quoting from Psalm 110 where he talks about how David prophesied and said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And uh, that one doesn't make any sense to the Jewish leaders either because Jesus asked them, okay, why would David, the ancestor, call the son of David, uh, the descendant, Lord? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it does when you realize that David's descendant was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of kings and lord of lords. And so, of course, he would do that. Uh, but they, didn't, they couldn't say that. They couldn't get that. And here, they kind of talk through their options and they realize that he's, Jesus has them boxed in. Um, by what authority am I doing these things? Well, I'll answer that question if you answer this question. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it of human origin? Verse 31, they caucus, they meet by themselves, and they discuss it among themselves. Verse 31, and they say, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe me? If we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So here's the issue. (laughs) John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? Was it from heaven or was it from a human being? Was John speaking for God or was he not? Was he a prophet or was he not? And they thought this through and they said, okay, let's talk about our options. Suppose we say that, um, uh, that, that it was from heaven. Then he's going to ask us, well, then how come you never were baptized? How come you didn't believe him? How come you didn't put up a fuss when Herod had him imprisoned and then later uh, put to death? And so they say, well, let's not choose that one. That'll get us into too much trouble. So how about if we say it was from human origin, since we didn't accept it anyway. And they thought that through and they some of them brought up, I'm sure, in the discussion, well, let's see, if we say that, we're going to have a revolt on our hand because there are lots and lots and lots of people who were baptized by John and who consider him a great martyr at the hands of King Herod. Um, and they're not going to go for that at all. Um, and so they realize that they, they don't have a good choice. And so they come back and... Um, Uh, In verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. (laughs) That's not exactly the truth, but that's the only thing they could say and not um, and not either be questioned themselves for their lack of response. If it's from God or they have a (laughs) they have a right on their hands from the multitude of people that see John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, Mark 11, verse 33, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Ultimately, Jesus would tell them. Ultimately, in his trials, as he's before the Jewish leaders, uh, they call him under oath and they ask him, tell us, are you the son of God or not? And Jesus confesses and says, yes, I am. And you will see me coming in the clouds of glory. And you will see me at the right hand of the Almighty. Well ultimately that causes them to pronounce him guilty of blasphemy and have him put to death. Um, You know, they thought they had Jesus here, they thought they had turned the tables on him, but he actually does the same uh, to them and causes them uh, to be trapped in their own discussion. And I think this last story and this last question is really the key point of this passage today as we think about our own answer to that question. Who do we say Jesus of Nazareth is? Yes, he's talking about John the Baptist here, but in all of this, Mark is leading his hearers, his listeners, his readers, us today, uh, 2,000 years later, to confront our own belief. Who do I think that Jesus is? Do I I think he's the son of God? Uh, What do I make of these events in his life when he demonstrates power over nature, when he demonstrates miraculous knowledge, uh, when we find him being worshiped as he enters Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, do we join in with that crowd? And and does our life reflect that? Does our life reflect that our belief is that Jesus truly is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Well, these, these questions of the Jewish leaders are going to continue. In Mark chapter 12. And again, ultimately, we're going to join Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples and then in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, as he prays for the Father's will to be done. And then as we see him give his life on the cross. And then as we celebrate um, Easter Sunday, this coming Sunday, a few weeks from now, uh, we will be celebrating that as it comes up in our wonderful study through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, that great story in Mark chapter 16 where they go to the tomb and they find the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. It is there that we get our hope. It is there that we get our joy. It is there uh, that we find that ultimate declaration, as Paul puts it in Romans 1, Jesus Christ declared with power to be the Son of God through the resurrection. I pray that as you consider these stories and these questions, that you let yourself ask yourself these questions. Who do I think that Jesus is? And is my life reflecting uh, that faith? God bless.